Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and uh, this is All Ball. I think you're going to love this one because as we get ready for the Final Four, we're going to be pumping these out a little bit more often, as we've done, and uh, we, we have great feedback on it. Chris Gerlofson is the new head coach of the San Francisco Dons. New head coach. But um, wait to hear about his first job where he was a grad assistant and he was working in a liquor store at night. All right, that's upcoming. That's a tease in the business. A reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on the iHeartRadio app on FoxSportsRadio.com. All right, let me get to this. Uh, the Final Four is set. And I want to make sure that that what's pointed out is, yes, players are important. Okay, no one's ever done it without players. On the other hand, there's a reason that these four coaches have been so incredibly successful. Bill Self's won like 20 Big 12 titles and a national championship. You know, um, in the new Big East, Jay Wright has been the the Kansas of the new Big East. Plus, he's won two national championships. Hubert Davis is only his first year, but uh, people laughed at me when I said he would be the next head coach. I I, I didn't know what what happens with Hubert is he's such a nice, genuine, thoughtful human being that there is this thought like, man, that guy can't recruit. Like to recruit, you got to be kind of, you kind of got to have a little diabolical used car salesman side to it. But I, I don't know. I think people are seeing what a wonderful human being he is now thoughtful and generous he is with his commentary like i don't know he's a good dude it's still carolina why wouldn't you go that that aside then you got duke and whatever you want to say about duke and people's love for them or hate for them you know the guys won this many titles and been to that many final fours and won over 1200 basketball games because they have good players and he's a really really good coach and they play really really hard so uh, i i do want to point this out I mean, look, Nova and their culture is remarkable. I thought what Bill Self did in changing the matchups at halftime felt like he used the first half to kind of feel things out. And uh, you put your point guard on Cam Augusti, and that kind of ends that. Dewan kind of ended that. Like, he only played, uh, you know, he only played his big guy, what, five minutes in the second half, but they got him the ball. Right? That's the difference. Like, we're going to go get... Dave McCormick, the basketball uh, while he's in the game. And then he kind of took over and dominated. Um, so I, I thought that that was the best adjustment. I thought the culture of Villanova, I mean, even when Justin Moore gets hurt, Al, they're not celebrating there with him for a long Like that, that team, that group, that program is special. Like, I don't know how many people get to see a closed Villanova practice like I did earlier this year. I talked about it in a pod before they played UCLA, but you just, you feel like this is what it's supposed to be like. You know, players executing, motivating each other. And there's nothing. I mean, look, they do invert. They Their guards can post, and their bigs can shoot. They're incredibly tough-minded defensively. That's not a great, that's not as talented a team as their national championship teams, but it's still a hell of a team, isn't it? Um, and then you have what Duke did against Texas Tech, where they didn't miss a shot from the field over the last 8.50 to go. It just feels like kind of meant to be, doesn't it? And then the improvement in North Carolina. The drubbing of St. Peter's, to me, was signified that Hubert had him ready to play and that because they 
they had beaten Kentucky, they'd beaten Purdue. You had the respect of North Carolina, and then once you that that's how that's how they would win games. You didn't respect them. They stretch you out. They hit some shots. You get behind. You get tight, and they beat you. And they play with toughness and great poise. But they just weren't good enough to be North Carolina. That's it. Anyway, all right. Let's get to. Your first job as a head coach, how'd you get it? How about on an hour and a half plane ride during which the current head coach told the athletic director he was leaving and then in a speed dating sort of way, you get hired. Here's my sit down with the new head coach of the San Francisco Dons, Chris Gerlison. Um, Okay, let's start your dad was a coach what was what was life like in your household growing up um that's a great question uh i was kind of indoctrinated into the into the game from before i even remember you know i was rolling around the floor in in diapers and um i really had no choice you know um it was just something that from as long as i can remember i've been in the gym and um it was just kind of in my blood and uh, I never expected or had any desire to do anything else but be involved with basketball and, and to coach. Um, and I'm super thankful for, for kind of what my childhood looked like um, and for having the experience just to be around the game at such an early age. What, what was he like? What's his like, you know, my, my dad was. Uh, he was a little bit of an older soul, right? Even though he was born in 1940, like he listened to big band music. And then, you know, as a basketball coach, he was, he, he literally played, he was a JV player when Bob Knight was a varsity player and grew up going as a coach, going to his clinics and taking notes. And I think there's a, I mean, that was the, that was the guy who was emulated. What was your dad like? Yeah, no, I mean, first off, before I answer that, I have some great memories of your dad. Um, from when even when I was an assistant at the University of Hartford, um, your dad was uh, amazing to me in terms of just he was relentless in terms of calling. And next thing you know, you're on the phone with three or four recruits. And um, <laughs> let me put you out, let me put you on the phone with somebody. Yeah, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Next thing I know, I'm talking to a kid and his parents. And um, those are some great memories, though. Of your dad, he was he was an un- unbelievable guy. And I know he helped so many kids. So. I want to just say that. And then um, my dad was probably a little bit of the same. You know, I think, um, you know, it was a different time in terms of how you developed as a coach. Um, I remember going to clinics and, um, you know, driving with my dad and my mom at the time, you know, across country to five star um, or going to Notre Dame camp where Digger Phelps was um, you know, running camp. My dad would take high school kids when he was a high school coach. And just those are the kind of things that I remember. And um, I think it, you know, just put what the value of just working and kind of grinding it out, you know, to go. My dad started as a high school coach and and, yep. and all the way up to a division one head coach. So I've kind of seen it from all angles. Um, and I, I think it's kind of made me in terms of what I am now. I don't think there's any doubt. Um Okay, so why did you go to Randolph-Macon? I went to Randolph-Macon um, for a couple different reasons. First one being, you know, I knew that I wanted to coach and I wanted to be around a guy who, you know, had won a lot of games and was respected and could maybe help me, you know, break into that that realm. 
um, you know, when I was done playing and, and, you know, I had a chance to play for a guy named Hal Nunnally, who um, when you talk about old school and, and um, doing things a certain way, um, he was certainly cut out of that mold. And, um, you know, I think there's no no kind of um, joke in terms of why so many people from from his program that had a chance to play for him went on and, and were successful coaches. Um, we have a really good kind of network of guys who have gone on to, to coach at the division one level. And, um, you know, I think it's because of kind of the stuff that, that he instilled and how he ran his program. So it was that. And then, you know, there were just some, some guys from the Philadelphia area that I knew that I had played against, um, you know, in high school that were down at the school and they kind of recruited me and I just felt comfortable, you know, and, and, you know, I knew I wanted to coach and I want to be around the right type of people people to do that um okay so what was your playing career like um I, I probably was a lot better in my mind than I was as, as a player uh, <laughs> um but no I, I think I had a chance to be you know on some some pretty darn good division three teams that you know made the the division three tournament a few times and um I was a I was you know, probably similar to you, extremely, and I still am to this day, like ultraly competitive. And I think that allowed me to probably be and perform, um, you know, better than what my actual skill level was or what my talent was. I was just super, super competitive. Uh, and I think I was a, you know, great teammate. I, I was a point guard um, and and just loved like being in the fight with, with my team and, and winning, you know, and, and whatever it took to win, that's what I was willing to do. Um, and I just love being around the game. What, what, what is that like that? That's a legit school as well. Right. Like, and there's no scholarships. Like what, what, what is that experience like in comparison to now, you know, you're a head coach at a high level division one school coming off an NCAA tournament. What, what's that division three, like of going to the NCAA tournament? I mean, I think that people who are involved with basketball at that level are, are involved with it for all the right reasons. You know, you, you play it or you coach it because you love it. Um, and as you said, there's, there is no scholarships. There is no, um, you know, NIL deals. There's no, there's no, you know, you're not ha hanging a carrot over anyone's head um, in that sense. And I think it, it's the truest sense of, of the game because you're, you're doing it, as I said, because you love it and you just, you love being around the game. And um, so in that sense, I think I could take a lot um you know, a lot out of my experiences there. And it, it really teaches you to appreciate and value um, all the things as you kind of move up the ladder. So you get done playing and, you know, um, we've had other guys at that level who have said, Hey, I got a job on wall street. I had this job and that job. You decided to go into like a no paying coaching job, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my first job I paid, it wasn't no paying, but it, it certainly felt like that. I made $1,500, I think, my first year. Um, and it was at another Division three school called Washington, Washington College in Chestertown, Maryland, which is like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I like lived above an old antique store in this like nasty old house. I worked in a liquor store at night to try to you know, just so I could survive. Um, and I, I probably ran up a lot of credit card debt that first year. 
Um, but it Wait, was you, you worked you worked you you worked in a liquor store. I did. I did at night. Um, you know, luckily, you know, the the summer before I started at Washington College, I, I kind of worked basketball camps and I worked in a liquor store at night. Just I was trying to just you know make as much money as I could. Um, so I could just survive, you know, once I got down there and, um, you know, I probably ate not, not the best that first year, but I was just so happy and so grateful to be able to say that I was a college basketball coach, you know, as a, I was a GA, but, um, I really just kind of jumped headfirst in and, and got a chance to really experience what it was like. And I thought I knew a lot and I knew nothing, um, you know, so I, I'm just, I'm, I'm super thoughtful and super grateful just for all the stops that I've had. Cause I think it's really kind of just, again, allowed me to progress and, and do it the right way and learn, not skip steps. So, so what, who was the head coach there? Uh, his name was Tom Finnegan. Okay. So what did you learn from Finnegan? What, what was, you said that you, you thought you knew stuff. We all do, right. You get done playing like my dad was a coach. I played, I know all this shit, right. Yep. What, what'd you learn? I think just, you know, how much actually goes into, and this has kind of been at all my stops, but just what the details of everything look like in terms of running a program, you know, from top to bottom, um, you know, probably as a player, you, you think that, you know, you just show up and you go in the gym, coaches there for practice and, um, you know, they prepare you for the games, but there, there's so much more that goes into running a program. And, you know, I learned, you know, probably in that first year, you know, what it meant to kind of just get out on the road and recruit uh, and just try to turn over as many names as you could and what it meant to to build relationships with, with recruits and players in your own program. Um, and again, I can kind of remember it like it's yesterday, but, um, you know, again, all, all these experiences, I'm just super, you know, thankful for having you know gone through it wasn't easy but it was uh it was it was fun at the same time fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app search fsr to listen live okay so you do that for a year and then what uh, and then a guy who uh, had been an assistant coach uh, at Randolph-Macon while I was there had gotten a head coaching job at Southwestern University, which is in Georgetown, Texas. And he kind of called me out of the blue and said, hey, I just got a head coaching job. I know you've only been in it a year, um, but I'd love for you to come out here and, and be my assistant. Um, and I'm not lying. I had never stepped foot in the state of Texas being an East Coast guy. And I loaded up a U-Haul, drove however many hours that was, 20 hours um, or more, um, you know, to Austin, Texas. And I was there for two years in a state that to this day has, you know, provided a lot of good players to me no matter where I've been. Um, so just, again, it was like one of those experiences that you don't know what it's going to lead to, but it was, uh, it was great for me to kind of get out of my comfort zone. Um, okay. What was, what was that experience like coaching there? Um, it was great. I mean, I think I, I, you know, again, when you're an assistant coach at a division three school and it's just you and the head coach, you're, you're indoctrinated into everything um, that goes into kind of trying to make a program successful. 
you know, from a recruiting standpoint to a game prep to just managing the guys on the team, um, you know, washing uniforms, sweeping floor. I mean, you're doing everything. Um, so, again, I think it just kind of taught me and, and showed me exactly um, that there's no job too small, number one, and, and uh, just kind of what it meant. Um, you know, to be in the fight and, and have a chance to do a little bit of everything. So um, I thought also for, for being in the state of Texas, it, it established some recruiting ties that, sure. you know, again, that I've taken with me no matter where I've been. And it's a it's a hell of a state to recruit uh, with so much talent um, up and down. So, again, it was just a, a really good experience for me. Um, OK, so now, we you know, you've been at, at Southwestern. Then you went to the Citadel which is um, military school. Was Ed Conroy there when you were there? Ed Conroy actually came uh, right after I left, but I'm actually, you know, close to Ed Conroy and, and have all the respect in the world for him. He, he did a heck of a job while he was there, but he was there after me. What was, what, what's the, what's the experience like of recruiting to a military school? Yeah, I know you're GA. I know it was really early on, but you're still, you're, you're putting together. What, what, what is that like? Yeah. Uh, you know, so funny thing is, you know, I went there with with really no expectation other than, um, you know, I was trying to break into Division One. Um, I had a chance to work for a guy named Pat Dennis, who had been an assistant uh, under Dick Tarrant at Richmond when they had made a run in the NCAA tournament upset. I think they upset Syracuse. Syracuse. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so he was a guy who came from like a really good coaching tree. Um, and he had, he had won, you know, it's hard to win at a military school and he had done relatively well there. So I just wanted to break into division one. I. I didn't care where it was. And, um, you know, I had established a relationship with him and, and, you know, he took a chance on me. Um, and so going to the Citadel, it was uh, I wouldn't change anything about it in terms of what the experience was like, because, um, you know, I was a GA that first year, but I got thrust into a recruiting role, I think, in the spring after, you know, going there in, in August. So it was relatively quick. Um, and, and that's a place that I really learned what it meant to from a recruiting standpoint of just what it means to just turn over names and kind of be relentless uh, in your research and your digging on kids because military school isn't for everybody, you know, and, and I think being there really made me understand what it meant to kind of establish meaningful relationships with, with recruits um, because that's a place where if you do not have that, you know, there's a good chance that kids aren't going to last, um, you know, so I think from that standpoint, it really showed me what it meant uh, from a recruiting standpoint, what you need to do to be successful. Why'd you go to Hartford? I went to Hartford because um, Dan Leibovitz, who's now the assistant commissioner of the SEC, had gotten the job. Um, and being a Philly guy, he was putting together his staff. And uh, John Gallagher, who I grew up with, played with, um, you know, since we've known each other since we were 10 years old. Um you know, he he called me and said, hey, look, I don't know if you're interested, but, um, you know, Dan just got the job here at Hartford. Um, we'd love for you to join the staff. And, you know, I just looked at it as a, a chance to get back into the Northeast, um, you know, and be with people who were from Philadelphia and that I trusted in. And uh, again, it was just another good move that that really kind of helped formulate who I am.
what, what was that like? You were there for a long time and, yep. um, and, you know, Dan got frustrated, I think with, with some of the stuff, which is, you know, which Gallagher, with, with Gallagher obviously has seen come to a head even after the tournament appearance last year. What was yep. that experience like for you? Um, it was just great again, being exposed to something a little bit different, you know, um, through Dan, um, I got to kind of learn what, what the John Cheney way was, you know, in terms of running a program. And, um, Dan is one of the best humans in the world. Uh, I actually just had dinner with him the other night when he was here for, for Arkansas's run, um, in San Francisco. But, um, he's a guy who I learned a lot from just from, uh, a human element, you know, what it means to treat people the right way. Um, but also, you know, I mean, he should write a book on, on, and I think he is in the midst of doing that just on John Cheney and, and, you know, learning his one, three, one, what he calls a Rover defense. Those are things that, that, you know, I'm excited to put a little spin on stuff here. There's some things from him that I'll take. Um, so from, from him, I learned a lot and that was his first, you know, head coaching job. And I think looking back on it, he'd probably do a few things different. And he talks about that now, um, but can't say enough about him as a, as a person and, and what he means to me. Um, and then, you know, I stayed there when, when Dan decided to leave, I stayed and, um, you know, as associate head coach for, for Gal and from Gal it was kind of completely the opposite. Gal is, is, um, super offensive driven. Um, he has a unique way of looking at the game from an offensive standpoint. And, um, you know, those are things that, that I'm really grateful for because, you know, having a chance to run the offense at San Diego, at Hawaii, and now here at, at USF, um, you know, Gal's a big reason. Um, and I've taken a lot, lot from him in terms of what I've learned over the years. Okay. Let's, let's get to the Hawaii thing because um, you became head coach when Iran took some time away, right? When he, he stepped away, yeah. what's that, what's, what's that like from a staff? What's that like um, inside those coaches offices where it's one thing to be normally isolated as coaches. Now you're on an Island, literally in Oahu, right? Yep. You're on an Island, your head coach steps away to get kind of his health together. What was that like for you to, to try and kind of figure out how to, how to keep that, that ship afloat? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I think I had taken the job there in late August, early September, and we got to the week before the first game. And I think it was three or four days before the first game. And he goes on medical leave kind of without, uh, you know, with no no heads up or anything like that. We had had a few conversations. I didn't know it was going to lead to that. Um, so I really had no time to like panic or, or worry. I, I just had to kind of dive in and, and get the team ready to play the first game. And, um, you know, it was unbelievable experience for just having basically a, a half a season, you know, to learn what it really means to, to run a program on a, on a daily basis, you know, whether it's from a planning standpoint, as you said, managing a staff, um, you know, dealing with players now as a head coach, um, and really just trying to make sure that the program, you know, ran smoothly while Ron was, was on a uh, medical leave and trying to just get healthy. What's that like, though, to be a – I mean, for a period of time, you were the head coach. What, 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 who would you play your first game? Uh, first game we played Florida A&M. Okay. Yep. So um, what do you remember about the whole process? 
you know, where kind of, I'll, I'll be honest, it's kind of a, a blur in ter- terms of the lead up. The thing I'll say is, you know, Hawaii is in a unique place because of, and you know, this, um, just because of the media presence, you know, and, and, um, you know, there is no pro sports on the Island, obviously. Um, so they treat their, you know, whether it's basketball or football or, or, um, men's or women's volleyball at the university. I mean, that is the pro sport. Um, so I'm forever like grateful and, um, what an unbelievable experience it was for me in terms of like dealing with the, the media, um, you know, and I think that really kind of prepared me and made me feel at ease for this. Um, but what I kind of remember to the lead up of the first game was just that kind of dealing with the media, learning how to, you know, handle stuff on that end. Um, and then the first game, I'll be honest, I do not remember a whole lot about it. I know it was, you know, a little bit ugly in the first half. I think we wound up winning by like 18 or 20. Um, and it was a it was a three-game tournament that we were in. I know we played them the first night one. We played South Dakota, who had uh, Amude, who transferred to Arkansas in the, in the second game. And then we played Pacific out of the WCC and won, won a crazy game on, on uh, kind of a last-second play um, against Damon Stoudemire in the third game. That's crazy. Um, so you come to San Francisco this year. What's Todd like in comparison? What was Todd like in comparison to everybody else you had worked for? Um, well, number one, Todd, Todd and I had an amazing just connection and um, our relationship kind of grew from when I was an assistant at San Diego. Um, and, you know, there's always one or two guys in the league that, whether it's bouncing ideas off of or, or, you know, talking about recruiting or scheduling. He was always uh, one of those guys that, um, you know, is just a natural kind of connection. And so we spoke a lot. Um, you know, we, we took a few trips to Europe at the same time to recruit. Um, and when you're obviously in a, in a foreign country, you, you kind of grab on and gravitate to, to guys who are from where you're from. Um, so we spent a lot of time in Europe you know, just talking about the game, talking about philosophies um, and uh, just the bomb was kind of built there. So when we started to have conversation about coming here, it was really um, a no brainer for, for me because I knew that the way that we viewed the game, I knew with him being super analytically driven, that was something that I was drawn to and, and kind of felt the same way. And um, again, and our, our philosophies just kind of aligned and, and we were had a strong friendship. So I just thought it was something where, um, you know, maybe I could provide a different perspective, you know, coming here and and with a team that we thought could be an NCAA tournament team. And um, he was just, he's amazing to work for. Uh, I can't say enough. How so? How so? What what specifically makes him amazing? Um, You know, everybody's different and there's a million different ways to to skin a cat, but um, you know, Todd has a unique ability um, to really just let people, um, you know, kind of shine in the role, you know, and, and he's not a micromanager. Um, he's just somebody that really allows you to be yourself, um, and to, to bring what you bring to the table. And, um, there's really no ego with him. Um, you know, I felt like I was coaching the team with him. Um, and he was the boss, obviously, but, um, it just was an unbelievable working relationship. 
um, something where I just enjoyed, you know, stepping foot in the office, you know, every day and, and just being in the fight with them. He, he, he's, he's as down to earth human as you're going to find, um, you know, in, in this profession. Hmm. Um, what was that like preparing for the NCAA tournament and knowing that there's all of these uh, job rumors out there? Yeah, that was, that was, uh, it was, it was interesting, you know, and, and, um, it was a lot to juggle, you know, obviously a lot of that stuff, some is speculation, some is rumor, some is some of the things that we were hearing obviously turned out to be truth. Um, and I think he did a really good job of, of trying to kind of kill the noise and, and to stay focused on, on what we were trying to do. Um, but he had a, he had a long week, you know, leading up to that, <laughs> to that Murray state game, um, you know, just for the amount of phone calls he had, not only from the media, but with, with the job inquiries and, and the things that he was doing on, on that front. So, um, it, it was a lot, um, but it, obviously that's why you coach, you know, to put yourself in those positions. And I thought, um, you know, he handled it as well as you can handle it, um, being in that situation. So he gets the Florida job. What was the process for you like getting this S the USF job? Yeah. I mean, this is a, a crazy story, probably one that would be a chapter in a book. Um, but I knew, I knew he was going to accept the job. Um, I had a feeling he was going to accept the job before we played the game. So um, after so did he tell you, like, did he tell you, Hey, Florida, yeah, we had some conversations and which kind of led me to believe that that was going to happen. Um, and, you know, obviously those kind of things stay, you know, between us, um, between him and I at the time. But um, so the next morning, you know, we lose a game in a unbelievable back and forth game, uh, heartbreaking game to lose the way that we did to Murray State. Um, and we get on the charter early in the morning and it's it's us and um, our, our president, our vice president, our uh, athletic director and some donors and our team. Um, and we're on the plane and Todd comes back and he sits next to me and he says, hey, I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm, I'm about to go sit with the AD and, and let her know that I've been offered and accepted the job at Florida. Um, and it was an emotional conversation because of how much I care for him and, and vice versa, but was extremely happy for him. So this started this musical chairs thing that went on on the plane for about the next hour and a half. So he told the AD, next thing you know, I'm going up to sit with the AD. The AD lets me know that she feels really good about trying to keep things in house and wants to um you know offer me the job to be the next head coach she then on the plane on the plane so then she now says, do you guys have wi-fi <laughs> we we do so the rumors and the speculation are already going at this point so there how did, how did first how did how did todd handle with the players um he one by one made his way back through the plane and he he didn't plan to do it that way um this literally was the first charter that we had been on all year that had wi-fi on the charter so um it, it made it for a unique experience for sure i think we thought that we would just touch down get back to san francisco and then everything would be out there um but 
you know, it's kind of unique that it wasn't. Some of the players were first to see it, then some of the donors. And so it just kind of, you know, you know how it does on a plane. It just, it was like whisper down the lane. Um, so it was a, a super surreal and unique experience. Um, and then fast forward, our, our AD made her way to the front of the plane, spoke to the vice president and the president. And within 10 minutes, 15 minutes, she's coming back telling me to go get up to the front of the plane. So I sat in the middle of the president and the vice president for about 30 minutes. And we had a really good, really good conversation about just the vision of the program going forward. Um, and, you know, they had basically let me know that they had faith and trust in me and uh, make my way to back to the plane. And I've got my better half who she's crying now. Todd Golden's wife is crying. I didn't know if we were going to a funeral or a celebration. It was like the most unique plane ride um, that I've ever been on. Um, but by the time we had touched down back in San Francisco, um, it, it was known that I was going to be the next head coach. So what do you do? What's, what's your first course of action? I think... Um, you know, there were a lot of moving parts, obviously, with with Todd taking the job of, you know, who's going to stay on staff, who's going to who's going to go with him. Um, you know, that was kind of the first thing that that popped into my mind was just trying to, you know, get that situation, um, you know, handled as, as quickly and as smoothly as we could. Um, but my my first thing was just the players in the program. You know, there there's no one more important. I don't care whether it's a potential staff member or a potential recruit. The, to me, the most important people are the people who are with you in the fight in your program. So, um, you know, the first thing I did was just spend a lot of time with the guys in the program um, and just make sure that, that they were on solid footing, that they understood kind of what the plan was for them moving forward um, and just how much I believed in them and, and, you know, wanted to have a chance to coach them. How do you get it to maintain this level? Because this is unique, right? You had Masalski who did not play in the NCAA tournament. That that's that was a game changer for me when you guys played Murray. He had such a good year, and he's become such a good player. Uh, you know, Jamari Bouye, obviously everybody respects him, but you know, you have guys like that. Um, you you lose a bunch from this team. And, you know, I mean, Jamari, you've been there five years, like you lose every, you know, so much of the culture and the scoring. How do you maintain it at this level? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think the first order of business and to be as transparent as I can be is, is you know, trying to get Khalil Shabazz here for another year. Um, and I feel really good about where that's moving. Um, he's a guy who... I think has a chance to be a face of the program, you know, moving forward. Um, and I still think there's a lot of room left for him to grow as a player. Um, but he he's kind of where I start. Um, there's nobody who I would want to go into battle with more than him um, for being five foot nothing um, and 175 pounds or whatever he is. He has the biggest heart of anyone I've been around. Uh, in college basketball. So um, I think with guys like him, guys like Julian Richwain, who played a lot of, lot of minutes um, and other guys in the program who are going to return, I think we have a solid nucleus. You know, it's a matter of, as you said, addressing the needs up front, 
obviously Masovsky turned into a beast. And it's kind of what I saw when I recruited him at San Diego, you know, was that he could develop into something like that. And he had a hell of a year. Uh, and Pat Tepe was kind of sneaky. You know, people forget about him in terms of what he brought from, especially from a defensive standpoint. Um, you know, so we're going to, we're living in the portal, obviously drawing on all our, you know, ties and, and our, our, relationships that we have to try to stay old and stay experienced. Um, and then got to add, you know, an experienced guy in the backcourt as well. Um, Cause Jamari, where he started and where he got to is remarkable. You know, yeah, that's, that, that's the thing. I, I saw some NBA players commenting on how, how good, how much they liked him. Like, yeah, you, you didn't see him three years ago. He was a little different, yep. <laughs> you know, but I, I think that, I think that speaks too in terms of, you know, everybody does want the, the quick fix. Unfortunately, here, um, the college basketball landscape has changed. And um, I want to be super, you know, calculated in terms of how we build our team. And I think, you know, peppering in and, and adding guys like Jamari, who um, were relatively unknown guys, you know, but they had a chance to really grow and prosper in the program over time. Um, you know, I think I'd be stupid not to try to mix a guy or two like that in uh, where you can really cultivate and, and try to grow their game over the course of their uh, career. Is your dad still alive? He is. What do you say? Um, I mean, he's just super, you know, excited for me and, um, you know, happy that I have a chance to kind of lead my own program. You know, it, it's been 23, 24 years of, of I mean, the path that I took is kind of crazy, you know, when I think about how, how it all got to this point. But again, everybody kind of gets to, to their end point at a different time and, and I wouldn't change anything about it. It's funny, like all these Philly guys, you'd always think you'll coach around Philly and then here you end up at, at, at San Francisco. Yeah. Um, Todd told us about how uh, living was so, you know, they, they, the living, cause it's so expensive there. Mm -hmm. It's always tricky. It's, it's trickier, obviously with assistants and as head coaches, but you were assistant. Now you're a head coach. Do you move? Did your wife hit you up to move yet? Um, we are, we're in the process of figuring that out. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a unique city to, to live in and, and, you know, growing up in Philadelphia, I appreciate and love everything about being in a metropolitan area. I think San Francisco is one of the best cities in the world. Um, but the obviously the cost of living is high. Um, and so we're, we're in the process of figuring out what we're going to do. Um, university has some really nice uh, homes that they own that they own here, you know, a block or two from campus. And, and that's an option. So we're, we're kind of exploring all of it at this point. Mm, that's, not, that's not bad. No, no, no house payment sounds really, really tasty. Exactly. Really, 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 really tasty. Um, when people see your teams play, what do you want them to walk away saying or thinking? Yeah, I think hopefully it's a lot of the same things that they, they walked away saying about this group that we had this year, um, you know, that we're ultra connected um, that we're tough and that we play extremely, extremely hard. Um, and I would hope that they say that we look like we're well coached too. You know, the, the preparation and, and being detailed is something that, you know, I've learned, you know, over the course of these 24 years. And it's something that's super important to me is just making sure that, you know, when we step on the floor that we're prepared, 
you know, and if you're prepared, I think that kind of allows uh, your natural instincts and your ability to kind of take over. Um, and so that that's what I hope they'll say. Uh, and that's going to be something that, that we kind of attack on a on a daily basis, just in terms of how we go about our business. We're going to be super competitive and, and ultra connected. Uh, last thing, um, if you look at these teams that are still playing, um, obviously Duke has gotten better defensively in the tournament. The rest of them are just outstanding. You know, Carolina's improved as well. Nova is great defensively, super physical. Obviously, what Kansas did, changing some of the matchups, unbelievable in the second half. You outscore a Jim Laranaga team, 47-15 was crazy. And their defense was the catalyst. I ask you this because my dad coached under Tex Winter at Long Beach State. And he used to tell me, that I, I remember he always told me a story that Tex would leave after the offense, they do go through all the warmups, all fundamentals. Then they do offense. He was completely running the show. He ran the, the triple post, which is the triangle. Yep. They run defensive drills. He'd leave the building. <laughs> leave the building. He was done. Not what he wanted to do. You guys handle it. How do you, as the guy who is the offensive guru, the guy yep. with the whiteboard in his hands, drawing up the ATO, setting up the offense. How do you go from offensive coordinator to head coach? How, what, what, how do you handle that challenge of being so focused on one end of the floor? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, although I was obviously the offensive coordinator at the last three schools that I've been at, I think I've been fortunate enough to be, be around a lot of good defensive minds, you know, whether it's Dan Leibovitz at, at Hartford, whether it's uh, Lamont Smith, who is a, incredible defensive coach um, at the University of San Diego and now being around Todd. Um, so as a coach, I think I've kind of put all that into a pot, you know, and, and kind of come up with the things that are important to me and um, the competitive nature in myself. Um, you know, I was actually a way better defensive player than I was an offensive player. And it was sure. the side of the ball that I was drawn to more than even the offensive side of the ball. So um, I'm not super worried about that. I, I feel like, you know, part of that, too, is hiring the right staff, you know, and guys who compliment you, um, you know. But believe me, we'll, we'll be locked in and dialed in just the same you know, from a defensive standpoint as we are from an offensive standpoint? Uh, th this is going to drop tomorrow. So, and I don't know if you're going to the Final Four, but I'm sure you're going to be hit up. How many, just for somebody who understands, you get your first head coaching job. How many texts, emails, phone messages in terms of guys wanting a job have there been? Um, text messages within the first probably 48 hours was well over a thousand. Um, and then from a phone call standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm having, you know, people come out the woodwork that I didn't even know were still around, you know, it's <laughs> kind of, it's kind of amazing, um, who you hear from when you have a job or when you get a job. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm being probably overly anal in terms of trying to get back to everyone. Sure. Um, because I know how that felt as an assistant too. you know, when, when you, you wanted to get involved with something and um, all you really wanted at times was just there to be some feedback, whether positive or negative. Um, so I'm doing my best to, to make sure that I, you know, circle back and touch base with everyone um, because I do know what it's like to, to be in those spots and, you know, just to want an opportunity. So 
Um, I'm super thankful for everyone who's reached out and um, I am doing my best, but it, it is certainly um, overwhelming in terms of just, you know, the amount of people who have hit me up. From living above a liquor store to trying to get back to over a thousand text messages. Uh, it's, 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 it's quite the journey. Uh, I can't wait to catch up. Can't wait to catch up more. I know you got to get back in the portal and get back to work and putting together, putting the whole thing together. No, I really appreciate, appreciate it. I, I do too. Uh, I like, I love watching your teams play. It's one of the reasons that I was drawn to San Francisco is I, I some teams I don't like how they play. Love how you guys play. Cannot wait to cover you guys in the WCC next year. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you having me anytime. I'd love to come back on. Wasn't that interesting? I, I thought so. All right. More pods to come this week. We're at Final Four Week. Remember to listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 through Pacific. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball.